It's so good to be together, and uh, our staging team has worked overtime. Isn't it nice? Yeah. Maybe I should just sit over here and do a little fireside chat. It's like, that's pretty sweet. I'm so glad we get to be together. We're stepping closer to the Christmas holiday and the celebration of the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, what an incredible holiday to celebrate. And there's so much to celebrate. Maybe if you're like me, though, you're a little wearied by the whole COVID experience. I'm just sick of it, right? I recognize so many of you because I know your eyes, but the rest of you, I, it's all covered up still. So today we're starting a brand new series to, uh, that's going to take us right up to Christmas. And the series is called Unwrapped. And it's all about discovering Jesus in new ways. And I hope today is meaningful to you. So I didn't want Christmas to sneak up on me. If you're like me, every year Christmas rolls around. It's like, how do we get here so soon, Right. In fact, these people that I used to make fun of that keep their decorations up year-round, they're on to something. They're, they're, they're on to something there. And so as I think about coming to this, you know, this season and trying to be prepared, like even before Thanksgiving, I decided to command Alexa to play me some Christmas music. And so I heard Christmas instrumental. I heard traditional Christmas. I heard Christian Christmas. The whole thing. Grandma even got run over by a reindeer. The whole thing, right? The whole smorgasbord of Christmas music to help me get uh, in, in the spirit. And in addition to that, if you haven't picked up on it already, right here at our church, we're offering a daily devotional for the month of December. I hope you're taking advantage of that. Some incredible play sets, playlists there, accompanying that great Christmas music to help us get in the spirit. So we're going to do everything we can right here at our church to move us forward and to help us experience Christmas together. And I hope it'll be an extremely meaningful holiday for you. So today in part one of this series, I'm going to talk to you about making room for Jesus. I think we would all agree it's easy for Jesus to get sort of squished to the sides, right? The greatest interruption in human history came when God left the comfort and glory of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ to become a human being. Think about that. God stepped out of heaven onto this earth. And Mary would be the first to make room for Jesus, literally, right? Let's start today in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at different passages, but Luke chapter 1, join me at verse 30. An angel speaking to Mary says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, or fear not. Now, you know, over and over again, we find angels saying that to people. And the reason an angel would say that to any human being is because you and I would be prone to fear. And certainly Mary was no exception. Mary, don't be afraid. The angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. And the angel went on to say, he will be very great and would be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. The kingdom will never end. What a beautiful story and a beautiful reminder as we enter this, this time of year, right? The story of Jesus is a story of scandal. Now, that seems like a strange word associated with Christmas, but it's a biblical word. Jesus is referred to as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, a rock of offense. And the Greek word for offense there uh, literally means 
uh, or is, is the Greek word scandalon, and it means to be a fence or a tripping point, a stumbling stone. And with the grace of God, we find incredible offense. The Greek word scandalon, does it sound familiar? Scandal. And so there is a sense in which when we celebrate Christmas as those who are looking to God for meaning and direction and opening his word, what do we discover? We don't just discover a nice Christmas story. We discover scandal. We discover something that can be offensive to our human sensibilities. There's something scandalous about the coming of Jesus, God in the flesh, to the world, born of a virgin, in relative obscurity, no prominence or public fanfare. And he goes on to die a criminal's death by crucifixion. That, that, I don't know any other way to say it. Scandal seems to be the appropriate word, right? It's offensive to any of us devising a plan to save humanity. If you were given a blank sheet of paper and said, okay, you got it, have at it, knock yourself out. How would you save humanity? We would not come up with this plan. In fact, it offends our human sensibilities to think that God could do something for us that we don't contribute to. Grace is offensive. Well, the story goes on in chapter two of Luke. The time came, we're told, for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. You talk about obscurity and humble beginnings. Here's God coming from heaven, leaving the comfort and glory of heaven, being born in obscurity. And and just don't miss it. Here's this newborn baby, God in the flesh, come to the, the earth, placed in a feeding trough. That's scandalous. It wouldn't be the last time that attempts would be made to eliminate room for Jesus. You notice there there was no room for them in the end. So don't you know there must have been whispers about Jesus' illegitimate birth? Don't you know he, he and his family live with that? Or later, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, they said? Or isn't this the carpenter's son? Or that guy, look, he's a gluttonous man and a drunkard. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. And then at the very end, Jesus hanging on the cross, the crowd taunts him and says, come down from that cross and save yourself. See, everything about the world would be hostile to Jesus. The story of that first Christmas includes chilling words, chilling words for any family trying to deliver a baby. There's no room for you. Let's be honest, right? We can say that to Jesus even now. Maybe not in those words, but certainly in our actions and our thoughts. There's, there's no room for you, Jesus. There's no room for you in our schedules. There's no room for you in our lives. There's no room for you in our activity. There's no room for you in our hearts. You ever push Jesus aside? I have too. There's no room. And often that's because days of noise and hurry conspire to push Jesus to the fringes of our lives. Days of noise and hurry. And is it, we think COVID has eliminated that, (laughs) not by any stretch. If anything, it's made us crazy, hasn't it? Right. Days of noise and hurry conspire to push Jesus to the fringes of our lives. And no one is immune. None of us. Have you felt it? 
According to Charles Chu's calculations, the average American spends 705 hours a year on social media and 2,737 hours watching TV every year. Friends, that's real life. Those are real hours that can't be gotten back, right? About a year ago, I read Jaron Lanier's book entitled 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. That's the title of the book. It's a long title. And it's a compelling argument from someone coming from that world that has devised ways to boost our dopamine and to hook us into addictive behaviors on social media. Maybe you saw the recent Netflix special, The Social Dilemma. Have you seen it? Yeah. And some of us, for the very first time, realize the horror that we're being spied on. That, that everything about social media is, is a carefully contrived plot to get your attention and your money and to create addiction. That's chilling, isn't it? Another author notes a survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answered yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. Now, now the the first computer would fill over half this room. It's, It's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? And today, your smartphone has more computing power than the Apollo lunar lander. It is incredible to think about what technology has done. But it comes with a price. Distraction. Distraction. Phone calls, text messages, emails, tweets, TikTok, Venmo, push notifications, and still more noise all around us, right? TV commercials, traffic jams, speed cams, crying babies, COVID-19, all a constant barrage of distractions creating a world of noise, noise everywhere. So in C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters, have you read it? An incredible account of, of what demonic forces would do to try to defeat uh, human beings and even believers in Jesus Christ. And so Screwtape is the senior demon. His little apprentice is Wormwood. And and what they do is go about trying to trip up people like you and people like me. And in this book that C.S. Lewis wrote, the senior demon Screwtape calls the devil's realm, quote, a kingdom of noise. That's what he says. And, And he claims, quote, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. Can I just say that might be happening now? All around us, it might be happening right now. So not only is there noise all around us, but psychologists have identified a new malady. It's called hurry sickness. We're going and going and going. All around us, the pace of life has picked up. You know, with all of these modern conveniences and technology, like multiple generations ago, we were promised a life of ease. But instead, it sabotaged our lives. And now suddenly, with the convenience of technology, we actually are going faster. Rather than enjoying life, there's something addictive about the push and the pace and the sickness of hurry. Why are we in such a hurry? 
Last year, I tried, uh, last week, I tried an experiment, knowing that I was going to talk about this. I was in the grocery store, and I deliberately got in the longest line. You ever do this like at the bank or the grocery store? You're going like this. I could have been there. I could have been there. I could have been there. Friends, that's, that's part of hurry sickness. So I got in the longest line in the grocery store. And I'm here to tell you, I didn't die. I made it. It was okay. Why are we in such a hurry? So Walter Adams was a spiritual director to C.S. Lewis. Notice his words. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Everything around us is conspiring to hurry us up and to help us embrace a pace that is destructive. Jesus entered the world over 2,000 years ago. Like me, have you ever wondered why that particular time in history? So the God of the universe had the opportunity to leave heaven, the glory and the comfort of heaven, step into this human existence at any time in history he could have chosen. Why did he come then? Why did he come 2,000 years ago? Jesus, don't you realize if you had come now, you could take advantage of, of uh, air travel. You, you could have a website. Jesus, you would, ju- you would just, you would crush it on social media, Jesus, <laughs> right? And I think one of the reasons that God stepped out of heaven and came to earth so long ago in that kind of time where you walked if you wanted to go somewhere is that because noise and the pace of our current reality actually choke out life. Choke it out. So Jesus was God walking the earth in a dependent relationship with his heavenly father. We could sit in that and make that a sermon. I hope we never get over that. Jesus is God. He's not some prophet. He's not some well-meaning moral teacher. Jesus is God. The Trinity coexisting from all of eternity, past. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God became a human being, steps onto this earth. And what does he do? He, he maintains his life on earth in a dependent relationship with his heavenly father. In other words, Jesus as a human being says, you know what? I need my relationship with my heavenly father. That, he says, of, of my own self, I can do nothing. I only do what I see him doing. What a pattern for us to look at. What a pattern for us to Consider And in this dependent relationship with his father, Jesus was fully God and fully man. The fully man part of Jesus got exhausted. You know how he handled the noise and the pace of his day? Mark tells us. Look at Mark chapter 1. Let's start at verse 35. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. The word isolated is deserted. He just got alone. Or the disciples are experiencing the hurried and frantic pace of of their lives. And he says in Mark 6.31, he said to the disciples, Come with me privately to an isolated place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. Does it sound like that could be now? Of course it does. Maybe Jesus knew that you don't get more done when you're always trying to do more. That's not how the math works. 
We think, okay, if I can just stay awake more hours, do more, not take my lunch break, drive here, multitask, all those things, I'll get more done. It doesn't work that way. We are more than performance machines. Jesus issues a remarkable invitation. Let it wash over you here this morning. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's something when I hear those words and I read them often that just washes over me. I want to say, Jesus, you mean like today? You mean like in our modern era? You mean I can do this, Jesus? One day Jesus and his disciples entered the town of Bethany. You might know the town of Bethany as, as the place where Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus lived. Yes, the same Lazarus that later Jesus would show up late for his sickness and find him already dead. Of course, Jesus knew that. And it would be Jesus who would call Lazarus forth from the tomb. Just an incredible story of resurrection. Well, now prior to that event, Jesus shows up at their home. Friends, dear friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And we're told that, that Martha welcomed him into her house, probably the older of the siblings there. And Martha is the head of the household and she's, she is welcoming Jesus uh, into the house. But we're told in this story that, that Mary, all Mary was interested in was sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. In other words, Martha welcomed him. Hey, come, glad you're here. And then the next thing you know, Mary is here sitting at the feet of Jesus, just enraptured by the truth that he spoke. Just taken up with with this God walking the earth. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, the story continues. But but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And I think when I read this verse, we, we miss what's important when we're distracted with activity and we often expect others to join us in our dysfunction. Don't miss these words. Can you believe Martha is saying this to Jesus? You, you see the first indictment? Jesus, do you not care? She said that to Jesus. <laughs> do you not care that my sister has left me to serve? And I love the last one. Tell her to help me. <laughs> Tell her what's good for her. Bless her heart. <laughs> the story continues, verse 41, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What was the good part Mary has chosen? To be with Jesus. Now, is it possible that you could insert your name in, in these verses? Could Jesus be, be talking to you and asking you, and are, are you worried and troubled about many things? How would you answer that? I think it's not far from reality that in our hurried pace and activity that Jesus could say to each one of us, are, are, you, are you not worried and troubled about many things? Because it's easy to get sucked into that. Let me put it this way. It's possible, I believe, to focus on working for Jesus and miss being with Jesus. So in other words, we can fail to make room for Jesus even when we're busy with well-intentioned religious activity. 
Days of noise and hurry conspire to push Jesus to the fringes of our lives. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a wrestling match. Following Jesus while trying to be friends with the world of noise and hurry will feel like trying to hold a giant beach ball underwater. It's a frustrating experience. It just doesn't work. That's because growing requires slowing. Slowing long enough to pay attention to Jesus. This idea doesn't come easy if you view God as a taskmaster, and some of you do. A taskmaster who's never satisfied with the amount of work he's getting out of you. For some of you, this was hammered into you from a young age. And now when you think of God, there's this whole cloud of guilt there's a sense of what, what you've got to do is you, you've got to perform. Because if you're going to get God to love you, if you're going to get God to do things for you that you want to do, then, then this, this harsh taskmaster who oversees you uh, from heaven is looking to get more out of you than you're producing. But remember, it's God who said, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still, he says. So the noise and pace of life can be both intoxicating and maddening. I get it. I'm a recovering control freak and a recovering activity person and a recovering get it done person and all of that. I get it. What does God say? Stop moving for a while. Be still, God says. And solitude and silence are countercultural, yet these two disciplines are indispensable to our spiritual growth. Some of us are so busy in the frantic activity that we don't have an opportunity to make room for Jesus in our lives. So David penned Psalm 63. It's an incredible psalm. I would draw your attention to it to look at it in more detail. One of the things I like about it is David communicates his yearning for God, his desire to be with God, his desire to spend time with God. And he says, he says it like this, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I love those words because it's an apt description, a dry and thirsty land. The, the word there, thirsty, is translated in the New American Standard Bible as exhausted. A dry and exhausted land where there is no water. And he continues in this same chapter. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. To meditate means to ponder, to reflect, to ruminate. And if we're so busy going at life, we won't do that. I'm fascinated by the idea of watches in the night. It's actually a military concept, right? Keep watch. The Jews had three watches in the night. One started at sunset and went to 10. One went from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. and then 2 a.m. to sunrise. Those were the watches of the night. And there's something calming and reassuring knowing that God is with us even in the night. I hope you feel that. When you climb in bed at night. Put another way, we sleep and God doesn't. And our thoughts can turn to him. In the night, we unplug from hurry and noise. And it could very well be, for those of us that are trying to flex this muscle and learn what this means, start 
in the night because we're already unplugged. We're unplugged from the pace of life. We're unplugged from the noise of life. Maybe then it's easier to make room for Jesus. Around life point here, we talk about one who has made room for Jesus as being a Christ-like influencer. And I love that phrase. We've identified five characteristics of a Christ-like influencer. And the last of those on the list is that a Christ-like influencer engages with God daily, every day. It's not an option. It's not something you do, as I often say. If this is your only spiritual input in your week, you're in trouble. Church was never meant to be a substitute for your personal exploration of God. We are to engage with God daily. I I like to even say it this way. This is is not the game. This is practice. (laughs) The game's out there. And we, we go from here, we log off if we're listening online, and then, then we start. That's the game. And we engage with God daily. To engage with God daily implies intention and purpose and, and action and even a plan. Well, what does that mean? Well, the list is long. I mean, here are just a few things, okay? But by practical checklist of activities that help us engage with God daily. Thinking. Praying. Reading. Studying, meditating, memorizing, listening, writing, worship, confession, repentance, solitude, silence, gratitude, awareness. God wants us to engage with him in the ordinary circumstances of our lives. I think many of us look to men that do these super spiritual things. I was into this years ago where if I couldn't have a one hour quiet time, I often wouldn't have a quiet time. That's just dumb, right? And so we think about, okay, if we're going to be God followers, we have to do these extraordinary things. And I would suggest that life is found not in the extraordinary, but in the ordinary. It is that simple list of daily activities that move us closer to Jesus Christ. So at Christmas time, we pay special attention to our God who has come into the world. A Savior is born, Christ the Lord. And we celebrate a truth often lost. It goes like this. We make room for Jesus because he first made room for us. That's where this whole thing got started. Right. Put in the language of the Bible, we love because he first loved us. I like how one author said we are born into a world looking for someone looking for us. And God has placed that thing in you. It is God who has initiated It is God who is reaching out to you. And yet he's placed that thing within us. So even as a little baby, we're just going, where's the person looking for me? We don't say it like that, but it's innate. Because there's someone out there we're looking for who's looking for us. And that person is God. And in his great love and grace, he has made movement toward you and toward me. I think David helps us understand God's love toward us. Psalm 139, what an incredible chapter in the Bible. And David notes this. I think it's true of every single one of us. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. The word precious there in these verses means weighty or valuable. 
How precious, how weighty, how valuable are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. For some of you, this is a new truth because you have lived your entire life overwhelmed by God's disappointment in you. And God is saying, I think about you all the time. And his thoughts toward you are weighty. They're valuable. They cannot be numbered. In fact, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Uh, Years ago, Trisha and I took a vacation to a beach famous for seashells. They were everywhere. It was just an incredible experience. But you know what caught my eye? Seashells pale in comparison to sand, This fine, you know, sugar-colored sand. And when you begin to think about each little grain of sand on every beach on this planet, it is a staggering thought. And yet we're told, we're told here that your thoughts to me, they outnumber the grains of sand. God's thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand. So imagine walking into a room where God is seated and he stands to greet you and he hugs you. And he says something like this, wow, it's you. I'm so glad to see you. I watch you all the time. You are a delight for me. I cannot get you out of my mind. I'm especially fond of you. I love you more than you will ever understand. You are my beloved. Now, if you hear nothing else that I say today, some of you just need to hold on to that. Because you've been convinced all your life that God's job is to make you miserable because he cannot stand you. But instead, he opens his arm. We make room for Jesus because he first made room for us. God has taken the initiative. He has made room for you and is making movement toward you and toward me all the time. He greets us with open arms. So engage with him every day and especially this Christmas season. Make room for Jesus. Our Father, we just talk to you now and overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by so much. We're overwhelmed by the pace and hurried, hurriedness of life. We're overwhelmed by a COVID reality. We're overwhelmed that sometimes we are just so tired. And when we hear your words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down. I'll give you rest. We thank you for the amazing reality that That we can make room for you, Jesus, because you initiated, you made room for us. What a love. We thank you that you have made a way for every person to understand that great love by taking the sin of the entire world on yourself, dying in our place, a sin-satisfying sacrifice. God, I pray that through your power and through your strength and through the truth of your word, this Christmas we would rise above the circumstances around us 
And we would be able to say, as the angels did on the shepherds, to the shepherds on that hillside that first night, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to everyone. And we ask this in the name of your son. Amen.